Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. And if you need a Bible this morning, ushers have them. Just wave at them, and they'll be happy to pass the Bible to you. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. One of the things that we're going to be doing too and what I'd like to do when we, when we send teams to Malawi is being able to purchase Bibles in particular that we can put in the hands of pastors that they can take back to their congregations and their people. And um, we take it for granted. I ask you to turn in your Bible. You just grab it or you have it on your device or whatever. But we take the Bible for granted and they don't. Matthew chapter 5. I was talking to someone this week, and they said, man, the first two Beatitudes have been rough. I said, they don't get any better. There's a reason for that, too. I thought about that a little bit this week. Um, there's a reason. Because Jesus is introducing, he is, for the first time, he's cracking open to people the new covenant. They have come out of the old covenant in a way of thinking By the way, it's the same way that you and I think. It's the way the human race thinks. Apart from a transforming work of God, we all think this way. How is that? We are all born legalists, every one of us. We are born legalists. And we live in a merit-based society. Everything is merit-based. You do well uh, on Thursdays. Thursdays, Elizabeth brings home her Thursday fold. It's called Thursday Folder. And in it, it has all of her tests and all of her, all of her work that was graded for that week. It's all in that Thursday folder, and we sit down, and we begin to go through it, and we look at it, and she's always excited to show it to me, especially when she's done what she thinks as well. Now, if there happens to be one in there she's not sure how I'm going to respond to, there's a little more trepidation with that. Why? Because all of us understand merit base. We all understand that. If you... If, if you you know, if you have a test with 10 questions and you miss two of them, you made an 80, right? And depending on your viewpoint, that's either good or bad. We understand. If you get 100, you're able to come home. You get them all right. You can come home and say, I got them all right. I got everything right. I made 100. And you're all excited and you get your little smiley face or whatever your teacher does. And, and, and we can rejoice in all of that. But can, again, it's merit-based. Jesus comes and he begins to open up the new covenant, which is not merit-based. So it is so contrary to everything that we know and everything that we live in. That's one of the reasons that we gather as a body. Because when you and I walk out of these doors and we walk out into this culture around us, which we're supposed to, we're not supposed to hide from it, but when we walk out there, you need to understand everything out there is merit-based. You earn it. Jesus says, I want to show you a whole different way. And that's why the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in particular are so difficult for us because he's coming up against a a way that we're hardwired to believe that life operates this way and, and we think this way, we function this way. And I'm not completely saying that's a horrible thing because there are certain things we have to do in this culture. I'm simply saying that the way we are geared, the way we are wired It's totally contrary to what Jesus is presenting here in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, the message this morning is happy, blessed, or happy are the gentle. 
The scripture says meek. We don't like the word meek. It rhymes with weak. And I don't want to be weak. I don't really like gentle a whole lot either. Um, I mean, you know, gentle is, that's great for babies. I mean, you want to be gentle with babies and, and that kind of thing. But gentle, meek, the, these words, they don't, they don't quite, they don't stir this aspiration in us, this excitement in us. Um, at least, not in me anyway, in, in my picture of what they look like. I'm going to try to show you this morning, biblically, what they look like, because they don't look like what you and I think. And I'm going to define, Lord willing, because I think, I asked the Holy Spirit to give me a definition, a simple definition for meekness this week, because I'm that way. I'm a simple guy. I like simple, short, little definitions. They help me. And I asked the Lord to give me one, and he did. And I'm going to tell you right up front, you're not going to like it. I didn't like it when he gave it to me. Okay, so I'm going to tell you now, you're not going to like it. All right? Um, meekness. One of the reasons is important. Jesus talks about it, but when you go through Scripture, you're going to find how important this quality is. It, scripture says in Numbers chapter 12 that Moses was the meekest man on the planet. And we'll show you why here in just a minute as we, we look at Moses a little bit more. But in chapter 12, you've got his older brother and sister kind of coming and saying, hey, you know, God can speak through any of us. I mean, who... Who, who died and made you God kind of thing. That's kind of the attitude. Sometimes we just read through Scripture and we stop. We don't stop long enough to look and think of the family dynamic, of the human dynamic in Scripture. Basically, what you've got for Aaron and Miriam is you've got their little brother. Their little brother who is now, everybody's talking about Moses. Moses is Moses. Moses is great. Moses is awesome. Did you hear what Moses said? Did you see what Moses did? And they're thinking, he's our little brother. He's Moses. Miriam could say, I changed his diaper. I don't think they had diapers back then, but whatever they had, she said, I changed it, you know, no biggie. And so you have this description given to us in Numbers of Moses saying he is the meekest man on the face of the earth at that time. And yet Moses is the guy that killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Now, I don't know what your definition of meekness is, but that don't sound like it to me. So apparently he didn't have it but God worked it in him. That's an encouragement, isn't it? Because whatever this is, Jesus is saying, I have it, because that's the next thing we look at. In Matthew chapter 9, and again in, in Matthew 21, I'm sorry, Matthew 11, Jesus says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Now this is the only description I know of that Jesus gives of himself, of his character. He'll say he's the son of God in different places. He'll say that he came to seek and save the lost. But this is the only place I know of where Jesus defines his own character. How does he describe himself? He says, I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart. Poor in spirit would be another way we would say that. Humble in heart. Two of the first three Beatitudes that we talk about, Jesus said, this is what I am. I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. Now I want you to understand something and why this is so important. Humility is a work that God does in the heart. Meekness is the operation of humility that works its way out in how we interact with other people. Humility is the work within. Meekness is the work without. Do you understand that? Because as God's doing a work and causing me to be a beggar in spirit, causing me to recognize my desperate need, to see myself as always in need. That's an internal work that he's doing in me, but that internal work is going to produce this external meekness. And you see it, Jesus describes himself this way. He says, I am meek, I'm lowly in heart. 
You also see this used again uh, as a description of Jesus in Matthew 21. And then there's over in Peter, it says that if you skip with 1 Peter chapter 3, talking to women, because all the examples I'm going to use this morning about meekness are men. And ladies, I didn't want you to feel left out, okay? So you're supposed to have meekness as well. According to 1 Peter chapter 3, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle or meek and quiet. That word quiet is not a good translation of that word. Literally, um, restful would be a better translation. Because we read quiet, we think, oh, she's just supposed to not say anything. You cannot say anything and not have a quiet spirit. You can be completely mute and not have a quiet spirit because it's not about speaking or not speaking. And that translation kind of makes you think it's about speaking. It's not about speaking. It's about a calmness. It's about a rest. It's about a trust that God builds within. And as he does that, that produces other things. And so as he's writing here, as Peter's writing to ladies, saying, it's not just for men. Guys, you're supposed to have meekness, this gentleness. Ladies, you're supposed to have it as well. There's biblical examples all the way through Scripture where you can see meekness. Let me give you a few. Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot are a great example. Abraham is a great example of meekness. If you take an Abraham and Lot and you put them side by side, who deserves the greater honor, at least as we're concerned? Abraham, all right? He's the older one. He's the uncle. He's the one God spoke to. He's the one that God led out. Lot's kind of tagging along, all right? He's the one that God continues to speak to. He's the one that God has made the promise to of what he's going to accomplish through him. And yet, there's a problem that arises between Abraham and Lot. God blesses them both, and they both have an abundance of cattle, livestock. And they become, they, their, their herdsmen start fighting over the same pasture land and the same wells. They're fighting over the same territory. And it's not enough to sustain them both. So Abraham calls Lot, and he says, it's not good for this to go on between us. We're family. And he said, so I want you to look out around. They obviously took him to a high place where they could see a lot. And he said, I want you to look around. And he said, I'm going to give you first choice. You get to pick first. And you pick the place that you want to go, and then I will take the other part, and that's where I will go. Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Abraham should get first choice. Abraham is the guy who the Lord spoke to. He's the older. He's the one that's more respected. He's the one who should get to pick first, not Lot. And yet Abraham says, no, I'm going to let you pick first, and then I'll take, I'll take whatever's left. Now maybe you say, well, maybe Abraham thought Lot would defer and give him the better part. I don't think Abraham believed that Lot would do that. I don't think he did. I think he knew exactly what Lot was going to do, that he was going to pick the best part, which is what Lot did. So why would Abraham ever do this? Why would he give Lot first choice? I'll tell you why. Because Abraham believed that God was bigger than Lot's choices. This is a key to meekness, folks. If you and I are going to have meekness in our life, we must believe that God is bigger than someone else's choices. There's another great example. I could elaborate, but we're going to move on. There's another great example in Scripture. 
we talked about Moses being the meekest man. And it's interesting in Numbers chapter 12, Moses did not defend himself when his brother and his sister, they're pretty much attacking him. He did not defend himself. I want you to see another attribute, another characteristic of meekness here as it works its way out. Because Moses could have defended himself. He could have touted his position and what God has done and hey, I'm the one in charge and I'm the boss. Can I share this with any of you, especially those of you who are younger? You really do need to believe Jesus when he says that if you want to be the leader, then you must first learn to be the servant. At a time in my life when I thought I had so much to give and I could lead so well, I was not a servant and God knew that. And so he had to begin to take me through a process, his own training, if you will, to, so that I would see that I wasn't a servant, that I didn't have a heart for that. If you want to find a great leader, a great leader is a great servant. That's their heart. That's what they want to do. It's not about them. If you want to be in charge so you can be the one in charge, so I can, I remember when my kids were little and Lori and I'd go out for a little while and they'd all want to, who's in charge? You know, who's in charge? I'm going to be able, because so, I can tell everybody else what it is. It's like, you don't understand what being in charge means. It means you take greater responsibility and have less freedom. Anybody want to sign up for that gig? Sometimes I have young men say, I just want to do what you do. I say, hey, let's sign the paper. I'll give, it, I'll give you the job today. Because there are parts of this that I love, and there are parts of it I don't love so much. That's this working of meekness in our life so that it's not about me. And Moses didn't fight back. He didn't, in fact, he didn't even defend himself. There's, a, there's an aspect of meekness that says, you know what, God, I'm going to put it in your hands for you to defend me if you choose to. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. You have the story of Joseph. I love Joseph because Joseph is such a great example of all the, the Beatitudes that we've talked about thus far. Joseph as a young man has this dream where God's going to lift him up and he's going to put him over. He's going to be over his brothers and he's going to have this place of authority. And it's a dream that God gave and it's true and it is going to happen. But Joseph had no discernment and no humility as a young man. And so he's, he's going around kind of bragging about this with his brothers. And, and obviously they hated him. They didn't want to be around him. This young, arrogant whoopersnapper and the whole deal. So first chance they get, they think, let's kill him. Nobody will ever know the difference. We can tell our dad and a wild animal got him and he's dead and he's gone. Which, by the way, is the story they told. Then they came to their senses and thought, wait a second. If we sell him into slavery, they'll take him way, way far away. He's as good as dead to us and we make money off the deal. So they sold him. I know you may have a bad family, but man, this is rough here, isn't it? I mean, any of you ever had your family try to sell you into slavery? Um, that's, that's, a tough, that's a tough family. And so Joseph is taken into, he's taken into slavery. He's taken and humbled in that process. There's mourning that happens in that process. There's meekness that develops in that process. He not only goes from being a slave to being in prison until God lifts him up over 13 years as he walks through this process, and then God lifts him up. 
And when God lifts him up, he is now the second most powerful man in the world. Really the first, because the scripture says that Pharaoh had turned everything. He didn't even know what Joseph was doing. So in title, Pharaoh is ahead of Joseph. But in reality, in function, Joseph is the most powerful man in the world. And his brothers show up at his doorstep. And I'm telling you, even with the Holy Spirit in me, if I'm in Joseph's situation, I would want to get a little bit of revenge here. I mean, just a little bit, okay? Something. At least let them know, hey, guys, remember the dream? Remember what I told you? Look where I am. Look where you are, you know? I mean, really. Joseph didn't do that. The only thing that Joseph did with them, to them, if you could say, it wasn't mischievous, it wasn't mean, it wasn't vengeful. He wanted to know if God had done anything in their hearts so that they wouldn't betray their little brother like they did him. And so he set up a scenario, a test, to find out, have they changed any at all? Or will they desert their little brother Benjamin just like they did me? And he found out they wouldn't. They didn't leave him. That's the only thing Joseph did. He cared for them. He loved on them. He forgave them. And when they figured out who it was, and they said, Joseph, how in the world? I mean, we're, we're so sorry, and, we, and you know, they can't ask forgiveness enough. And Joseph said something very, very important. This is another key to meekness. Okay, don't miss this. This is in Genesis chapter 50. I think it's verse 20. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. There has to be a mindset that God develops in you and me. If we're going to walk in humility and we're going to walk in meekness, if humility is going to be the inward quality and meekness the outward demonstration, then we have to believe that even when people mean it for evil, God means it for good. There's so many examples that we could use, and I don't have time this morning to go through all of them. You get to the New Testament and you have Jesus who said, I'm meek and lowly in heart, I'm humble. He's the perfect example of all of this. How did he demonstrate meekness, though? The scripture says that he didn't do anything of his own will. He only did what he heard the Father say and what he saw the Father do. That's all he did. Now, here's the definition. I told you you weren't going to like it. I didn't like it. But I said, Lord... Give me a definition for meekness that's simple, that it's easy for me to remember. He said, okay, here you go. Meekness refuses to fight for its own way, but is willing to die for the fathers. Meekness refuses to fight for its own way, but is willing to die for the fathers. That's Jesus. That's exactly who he is. So I was just talking to the Lord this week. He brought a song to my mind. This is when I know I'm getting old. Because this song is 40 years old now. It seems like just yesterday. But I was 12 or 13 years old when, I, when it became popular. And there's a, there's a phrase in it, there's a line in it the Lord brought back to my mind as I was going through this. The song is entitled, The Day He Wore My Crown. How many of you know the song? There's a few old people in here like me. All right. The day he wore my crown, I think Phil Johnson wrote it. 
And it's a, it's a story kind of song. The city was Jerusalem, the time was long ago. The people, I can't even remember how it all goes now. I have to sing it and I'm not going to sing it. But anyway, isn't it funny? You can't remember a song unless you sing it. Um, the part that stood out to me was the bridge. It says, he could have called his holy father and said, take me away. Please take me away. He could have said, I'm not guilty. I'm not going to stay. I'm not going to pay. But he walked right through the gates and then on up the hill. And as he fell beneath the weight, he cried, my fa he cried Father, not my will. That's meekness. Meekness says, I will not fight for my own way. I refuse. By the grace of God, I refuse to fight for my own way. But I'll die for the fathers. The only time we ever see Jesus get what I'd say in your face with people, he did it with the Pharisees because of their standing and really under the influence of the enemy against the work of the kingdom. And he was pretty rough with the Pharisees. And when he went into the temple... And he turned over the tables and he took the wheel. I would have loved to have been there that day. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Because we have this picture of Jesus and gentle Jesus. And he is gentle. He's meek and lowly and hard. That's what he says. But meek, gentle Jesus had a whip flipping over tables in the temple. Why? He was not fighting for his own way, but for his father's. He says, you have taken what is supposed to be a house of prayer, my father's house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you have turned it into a den of thieves. Meekness refuses to fight for its own way, but will die for the fathers. I told you these were going to get harder. You say, Troy, I can't do that. You absolutely are right. You cannot do that, and neither can I. But I can tell you this. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what he's introducing. He's saying, I'm coming, and I'm bringing to you a new covenant, a new way. And in me... And through me, I will produce in you what is in me, what I'm demonstrating for you. And I will produce a humility of heart and a meekness in your, in your interaction with other people so that you don't have to fight for your own way. Can I tell you, I'm a fighter. I was born a fighter. I never saw a rule I didn't want to break. I never wanted to back down from anyone or anything. In my, some of you are not geared that way. I'm geared that way. You tell me the sun rises in the east, I want to try to find a way and debate you and prove it rises in the west. I spent much of my younger years debating. I spent, bless my poor youth pastor's heart. Oh. Because I would interrupt and disagree it's an arrogant cuss but I was never happy never I can't remember one time in all of that fighting that I ever remember being happy even when I won I lost but Jesus says there is an internal blissfulness there is a rest. There is, a, there is something in you that is trans-circumstantial, that transcends any circumstance in your life so that you can be happy 
You can have this inner peace and rest and joy no matter what's going on, but you've got to quit fighting for your own way. And you've got to be willing to die for mine. And it is dying, folks. There's no way around it. It is dying. You say, I don't know. If that's too strong. Then, well... Let me say it this way. When you surrender your own way, all of it, it will feel like you are dying. Especially if you're a fighter. And yet on the other side, I can tell you, I know what it is today to be happy. I'm not always that way. Usually I grab a hold of my will again and say, let's, let's, let's march with this. But immediately the Holy Spirit will say, hey, you're, you're doing it again. And if I'll let my will go and say, Lord, I just want yours. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying there's a simple solution to all of it. I'm not saying any of the, those things. I'm simply saying that Jesus was right when he said that you and I can experience true blessedness, happiness, if I'm willing to die to my own way and live for his. I can experience it. The last part of that verse, and Lori, I'm going to ask you to come. The last part of that verse says that you will inherit the earth if you do this. Boy, that seems wrong. That seems contrary to everything in the New Testament. Jesus didn't seem to inherit the earth. He didn't seem to have any of the good stuff. When I think of inherit the earth, I think of inheritance. Inheritance is a good thing, right? It's where you've got something you didn't have before and, and hopefully a whole lot of it, right? That's inheritance. I inherited and, and I'm going to inherit the earth. That means all the good stuff of this earth I'm going to inherit. That's the way I read that. That's what it seems to say to me. That's the way I want to interpret it. But that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem consistent with anything that I read in the New Testament. So what did Jesus mean when he said you're going to inherit the earth? I don't think he was talking about what we often, how we would interpret that. All the good stuff. I'm going to have the home that I want and the family that I want and the relationships that I want and the money that I want and the security that I want. That's all the good stuff. I'm going to inherit all this. I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't in his favor, in his mercy, sometimes allow us to have some of these things. He does. But that's not what he's talking about. Revelation 21 and 22, Jesus describes a new heaven and a new earth. As a matter of fact, it says in, verse 20, in chapter 21, verse 1, and I saw, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth were passed away. There's a day coming when you and I, because we are in Christ and we believe him and we walk with him, we will inherit the earth. And in this life, on this earth, we will see him do miraculous things. But don't ever mistake that as a prosperity theology. That you're going to have everything that your heart might wish. My heart needs to be changed. I'm going to see, as a matter of fact, the scripture is very clear that 
I'm a pilgrim, I'm a, I'm a sojourner on this earth. I'm only here for a short time. So are you. You say, well, Troy, this message would sell better if you said we were going to inherit all that now. It would seem more worth it. I think that's why Jesus didn't say that. He is not trying to sell you on anything. He's not trying to bait you into something. He's not trying to say, hey, if you'll just you know, put up with a little bit here, you'll get all this here. The scripture says that in this life, you and I will, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to walk with him, you will suffer. You will have persecution. You will have loss. It will happen. And he's not trying to sugarcoat that for you and me. He's saying, I'm worth it. Knowing me is worth it. And in the end, I will balance all the scales. May not be in your lifetime or mine. Let me change that. I think God balances the scales now. We just can't see it because we don't see like him. I think he's, because he's just. I think he balances the scales now. We just can't see it. But one day we'll see it. It'll be clear to everyone. But between now and then, if, if you don't inherit the earth now, if you don't have all the good things that you think really are necessary to make you happy here, are you still willing to believe God? Will you believe Jesus when he says, you can be happy now, no matter what? But it requires meekness. It requires you dying to your way. Are you dying to your way and living for the Father's way? Can I tell you one side benefit to living life this way? I never, until I began to experience this, I never knew. You know, one of the greatest reliefs in your life will be you get to quit being God. You'll be happier if you're not having to be God. Because you were never made to be God. And neither was I. We keep trying to be God. We want to do his job. We want him to do our job, and we want to do his job. And he says, no, just trust me. Let me be God. You just be my follower. Would you bow your heads with me? listening to the Holy Spirit this morning, what is he saying to you? What's he saying? You say, how do I know what he's saying? Because it stood out. It wasn't what I said. It wasn't my words, but there was something, maybe more than one thing, as you went through this morning, it just, it was... It was clear. It was apparent. So listen to what he says. And respond to it.
Are you willing for him to produce meekness in you? He has to do it. He has to do it in you. He has to do it in me. But are you willing? Because he's not going to force it. He's not going to force you. Lord Jesus, I pray for each one here. I pray that you'd speak to us, Lord, and you'd keep on speaking. I pray, Lord, that as you open up this new covenant to us, this new way of living, that we'd recognize that it's going to be contrary, counterintuitive to everything that we think and most of what we feel. And yet, Lord, we'd be willing to trust you anyway. I pray that for young and old. I pray it from the youngest in this room to the oldest and everyone in between. Lord, we never get to a point where we don't need to believe you. Lord, we must always be believing you, believing what you say, receiving what you say, watching you transform us because we believe you. You st we started this journey of salvation because we believed you and you transformed us. Lord, we continue this journey, the sanctifying work that you do in us because we believe you and you keep changing us. So Lord, today, I believe you that it's better to die to my will and embrace yours. I believe you. No matter what I think or feel, I believe you. I pray for each one in this room that we would believe you. And help us, Lord. Help us to recognize the difference between our will and yours. Lord, where we're confusing the two, where we're mixing them up. The scripture says that your spirit that you have placed within us guides us to all truth. So guide us to the truth, Lord. Help us see. And Holy Spirit, as you speak truth to us, pour out your grace we would respond to that truth. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. I'm going to ask before we close this morning, I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come to the front. When we dismiss in a moment, if there's anything we can pray for you about, we want to do that. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. And that's what we're here for. And I'm going to ask the worship team just to lead us we're going we're gonna to end this morning worshiping the Lord. But again, let me encourage you. Don't leave today. If we can pray with you about anything in your life, it's a privilege for us to be able to do that. So let us join with you in that. And just going before the throne of grace. Just going to the Lord and letting him pour out his help. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would do that in each one of us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.